Welcome to Word and Table, a weekly podcast about liturgy, sacraments, and the great traditions of Christian worship and why they are vital in our world today. Uh, we are recording here in uh, kind of gray and wintry uh, Wheaton, Illinois, out at Church of the Resurrection, the Cathedral of our Diocese, the Diocese of the Upper Midwest, and the Anglican Church in North America. And I'm sitting here, as always, with the canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest and the Anglican Church in North America, Father Stephen Gautier. Welcome, Father Stephen. Uh, good morning, Alex. Uh, I'm Alex Wilgus, your host. And today uh, we are going to discuss probably the most requested topic thus far on our podcast. Uh, we've been getting your questions, um, and this is one uh, that uh, came from a number of sources, uh, and it was one of my first questions when I entered the Anglican Church as well. Um, in our first episode, if you recall, I remember walking in and uh, just remarking on how much stuff there was <laughs> in the Anglican service. And so today I want to talk about some of that stuff um, and what it means and, and why we do it. Uh, and yeah, so when I came, the, the, probably the most obvious one is people making the sign of the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they touch their head, their heart, and then both of their uh, shoulders with their kind of thumb and forefinger, it looked like. Um, and there was also a lot of movement, as we've talked about before. Uh, specifically, people would bow at different parts mm-hmm. and stand at different parts yes. of the mm-hmm. service. In some services, there was there were even smells. There were incense. Uh, there were there were bells rung. I think smells and bells is sort of the colloquial a common phrase. Term, a common term. Yes, yes. And um, yeah, th- so there are a lot of things like that. Uh, is there, what are those things, Father Stephen? Well, they're basically just our customs and usages. Think about um, uh, Christmas customs, you know, how you decorate your tree and things. They're sort of family customs. We call them sacramentals. That's a technical term for them. And they're basically just usages and customs that we have in the church. And our Anglican view is all may, some should, none must. All may, some should, none must yeah. do them, you right. mean? Mm-hmm. Or, okay. So just we do this here because it's it's something that we've always well, they have, done. They have great meaning. We could talk about some of that, but yeah, sure. they, they 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 are something that uh, family custom. Okay, wow. So the word sacramental sounds like sacrament. Um, it has the word in it. What is there a difference? That's sort of unfortunate because it's a very big difference. Okay. Sacraments and sacramentals are very different. Let's think about, remember we talked about sacraments. A sacrament, first of all, is an outward, uh, an effective sign. It's an actual means of grace. It's instituted by Christ himself, and it cannot change. Mm-hmm. So we can't decide, well, gee, baptism served its purpose. Why don't we have a new rite of initiation? You know, it's from the Lord directly, and it will always be the same. So you're not going to have, someone's not going to decide one day that instead of baptizing someone with water, we'd rather just say a few words over them and it make, does the same thing. That's right. It's, it's, okay. it's permanent. It comes directly from the Lord. It's an effective sign. When we talked about the sacraments, it actually, uh, something happens, mm-hmm. you know, um, in those signs. And, and they cannot change. They're effective signs. They're effective uh, means of grace. They're instituted by Christ. And um, again, they cannot change. Sacramentals are symbols or reminders. Okay. You know, uh, you know, classic, when we talked about sacraments, we talk about um, uh, for example, when we, if a woman is wearing an engagement ring, it's a symbol of her intention to marry. Or I'm wearing a, a wedding ring, and uh, you're wearing a wedding ring. That's a reminder of the fact that we're married. They're sort of reminders, symbols or reminders. They're completely instituted by the church. They're different in different places, different different societies. And they may and sometimes should change. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So the the sacramentals are things that are, as opposed to sacraments, they could possibly change with local custom or time. They're or, discretionary. Okay. Some have been honored by centuries of use again, but there's nothing inherent in them that couldn't change. Okay. Well, let me tell you one thing that when I first started going to Anglican churches, there were a lot of... Well, also, let's say this. Um, even though there wasn't anything really in particular that I remember hearing people uh, dislike about all of these things, it was just people would talk about it as though, you know, bowing and making the sign across, all of that is just seems very suspect and weird, mm-hmm. almost kind of... Um, all kind of superstitious uh, as though we're kind of uh, as though we're just kind of like invoking this kind of power in some kind of totemistic way is that is that legitimate does that criticism have any legs well it can i mean anything can be we'll talk about can be misused uh basically i think one of the objections people have you know frankly to sacramentals understandably is we tend to think uh, in our uh, the greeks thought the same way that somehow the physical is less spiritual that somehow the spiritual is an untouchable soul and anything we can touch or feast or, or taste or see isn't quite the same thing. And so I call that sort of the Gnostic ob- objection to the sacramentals, that somehow it's not, it's, something's not as holy if, you, um, if it's physical. And, of course, as we talked earlier on, uh, people are very physical. God made us that way. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that sort of a, was a scandal of Judaism and Christianity in the pagan world was we thought the body was a good thing. Uh, you know, we you know we we can't separate. We talk about the resurrection of the body; that we are body and soul. You know, that we are one human being. Yeah. So we don't inherently think there's something wrong per se because it's material. That's who we are. It okay. affects who we are. So uh, the fact that we do things with our with our bodies, like crossing ourselves or bowing, that's just kind of part of this idea that matter matters. That our the right. stuff of our bodies ought to glorify the Lord in the same way. We all have the same experience, don't we? I mean, if we dress up for something, we feel different on a formal occasion. Mm-hmm. We, we stand at a funeral, let's say, when, the, when there's a procession coming, or at a wedding. Yeah. There's certain things we do, and somehow it doesn't seem right just to sit and watch. We, want to, we physically want to get involved. Sure. We stand, we sit, we do different things. Or the, or the baseball game example, right. that when you, you know, do the wave, you're participating in, right. in the game in, in a certain way. So in, in that same way, I guess, in the service, if you're bowing or crossing yourself, for instance, that's a similar form of, of kind of body prayer well, or participation. Well, you might think an example I would think of is, you know, uh, we're both married guys. You know, I kiss my wife every day when I leave, and I could simply tell her I love her. That certainly is true, but there's something about giving a, giving a quick kiss to your spouse that's, that's special. Mm-hmm. It's a different way. It's um, matter of fact, sometimes you don't have time. You just give a quick kiss and, and leave. Yeah. It's sort of another way. Physically, we communicate in different ways. Sure, sure. So it means something, even though it's, it's a physical. It's sort of part of being human. That's who we are. We, we naturally know that. Sure. So uh, another uh, objection that I heard this time from um, more educated sources was that a lot of these different little little rituals have uh, pagan roots is that true that it certainly is some of them uh, really some certainly do okay uh, but that's not a scandal certainly the early church one of the issues that came up was uh, you know again living in a pagan society for example learned people say well at schools we study the the classics to learn good Latin good Greek etc is that somehow wrong 
And the church talked about despoiling the Egyptians was the term they used. Despoiling? Okay, what does despoiling mean? Well, it means, remember when the uh, children of Israel were about to leave Egypt, uh, God told them to ask their neighbors for stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sort of like borrowing the lawnmower, but not in turn you return it. Uh, and uh, it was, you know, certainly they worked as slaves, they were entitled to it, but they took these, these gold and, and things with them without they despoiled the Egyptians. And so the church fathers said, it's this way too. Anything good, basically, the enemy has no rights. Unless something is inherently evil of itself, there's no problem in our taking something and using it for good unless it's inherently evil. That was hmm. the idea called despoiling the, Egyptian, uh, the Egyptians. So a classic example, for example, we have Christmas. We talked about that with the calendar. For those who had associated with the, you know, the, the, the feast of the unconquered sun, the Sol Invictus, well, maybe that was the meaning it had then, but it doesn't have that meaning now. Mm-hmm. You know, I put it this way. For example, Christmas trees originally come, not particularly religious, but they come from tree worship, you know, sacred trees. Hmm. In Germany, I would, I would advise people, if you're inclined to tree worship, that you probably should not have a Christmas tree if you're Christian. Right. But for most of us, uh, tree worship isn't really a serious problem. So, <laughs> For once, most of us. That's right, for most of us. Uh, tree hugging, maybe, but not, not, <laughs> not, not, not tree worship. But the point is, certainly, there were a time when certain things, because of their immediate meaning, might pose a real danger to somebody. But often, that meaning has been completely lost. A classic thing would be days of the week. Every day of the week is named after a pagan god or uh, something connected with religion. You huh. know, we have sun and the moon, we know, but t- uh, Tuesday is named after the goddess uh, Tayu, Wednesday after Woden, Thursday after Thor, Friday hmm. after Frida, you know, Saturday after Saturn. Now, we wouldn't say as a Christian, I can't use the term Saturday because Saturn's a pagan god, and I need to call it the, um, you know, the, the sixth day, or the seventh day, rather. We'd, we'd say, look, no one worships Saturn anymore. It's just, it's just a name. So we don't have trouble. Once um, things are dissociated from those pagan roots, where it's not really a question of, of worship, we don't have trouble using those kind of things. Okay. Would a biblical example be something like the... Uh meat sacrifice to idols uh, in Paul's case would, would, where he distinguishes between um, his taking of, of the meat and, and what it might mean or cause other people to do is that the same distinction or not really? No I don't um, yeah I think it would be in the idea of scandal he's talking about we don't want to cause someone to do something and maybe we like he talked about we and I, he talked about the, the strong uh-huh. wouldn't it be scandalized we know better Okay. So it doesn't bother us. But we know that somebody else who doesn't know better... Remember, the problem of scandal in the New Testament is often misunderstood. Sometimes people use that as a club in the church that I'll be scandalized to get, to, to get our way. We don't want people to do that. We'll scandalize me. Okay. The way it's used in the New Testament is the opposite way. It's the way that not somebody's going to be offended and upset. It's quite the opposite. That somebody's saying, well, gee... If he's doing it, maybe I should be doing it too when they're not in the same place. Okay. And that's what Paul was talking about. He knew better, but somebody who didn't know better could follow that example with uh, bad consequences. Okay. So, well, let me ask you this then. Um, maybe uh, even if, if uh, a certain ritual or something is dissociated from its pagan roots, um, it, what if, you know, another objection I heard is that these things kind of become sort of good luck charms in a way that you, yeah. if you feel as though if you do it, it's almost like uh, deciding to not walk underneath a ladder or open your umbrella inside. It's it, the, these kind of, these things can kind of become sort of like that. These sort of thoughtless little <laughs> good luck charms. Well, is that possible? Or? It certainly is. Um, I can think of gangster movies with uh, gangsters wearing crosses around their neck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good... <laughs> that would certainly be true. Uh-huh. Uh, but that shouldn't surprise us in a way. It's like a chapter 7 in Romans. Paul tells us, you know, 
evil, something good can be used for evil. That's the nature of evil, is to take good things and to use them wrongly. He uses the example of the law of Moses. You know, the law of Moses came from God. It was a good thing. It comes from God. And some people say, well, is it, you know, is it evil? No, no. He says, you have to understand evil uses good things. That's the nature of evil. So it's a mistake to think that because things are abused or have the possibility of abuse, that the, somehow they are, they are wrong of themselves. Evil uses good things for evil purposes. So it, that's the nature of evil. You see, only God can create. Only God can make something. What the enemy does is they simply take good things and use them in bad ways. You know, that's what the enemy does. He doesn't have any creative power, only destructive power. So Paul is telling us we shouldn't be surprised. Anything that's really good, the enemy can use for our destruction. Think of the most beautiful things, the most beautiful thoughts. Think of for sexuality is one of our greatest gifts. You know, the first commandment in the, of the 613 commandments of the Torah is to reproduce and multiply. And yet how often sexuality is disordered, mm -hmm. right? He takes something precious and sacred like that and exactly uses it for evil. Almost anything we can think about, loyalty to country, uh, loyalty to the church, almost anything we can think about can be twisted. That's what the enemy does. So Paul says we shouldn't be surprised that evil can twist anything into uh, in, good things, into bad things. So the fact that some people misuse something doesn't mean the thing itself is bad. Okay, yeah. So those kind of superstitious uses, that would just be a misusing be of misuse. It is superstitious. I'm, I'm still appalled when I, there's a religious goods store near us, for example, that sells statues of St. Joseph with the um, a purpose of you bury them, I guess, upside down, as I understand, in your backyard to sort of persuade him to get your house sold. This is obviously pure superstition. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, but, okay, yeah, all right, well, that makes sense. Um, so is there is there like so what so the, what are the sacramentals is there a is there a definitive list of them or no, is it just kind uh, of no no anything anything else like this but we tend to think of things like sign of the cross holy water incense mm -hmm. uh, bowing holy oils all of those things would be be sacramental sacred images are sacramentals uh, vestments would be sacramentals or sure. all those the the added things Sure. Again, they're part of our customs and usage, but aren't part of the absolute core. Right. Well, well let's talk about one of them. The, the, this is one that I, I get a lot of questions about. It's the sign of the cross. Mm -hmm. um, that's done a lot. You know, obviously, all may, some should, none must. That, that means, right, that if you go into an Anglican or a Catholic church, if you're, you're allowed to not make the sign of the cross if you don't want to. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, a lot of people do. Um, what is the significance or the meaning behind that That bodily symbol that we do. I'm glad you asked that because it's, it sometimes is lost because originally the sign of the cross wasn't at all made the way we make it today. Oh, it was really? a small... So the, the motion that the hands make was not the original no, motion? No, no, no. What it was was a you used your thumb and you'd make, the, you'd make a small sign of the cross on the forehead. Okay. Or, for example, you'd bless food that way. You'd make a small sign of the cross with your thumb on the on like a loaf of bread. Uh -huh. Kind of like you're finger painting it with your thumb, right? Yeah, exactly okay. that way. That's a good, good connect, uh, comparison. And where it originally comes from is remember in the book of Ezekiel, it says, when, it says um, that the, uh, the Lord tells an angel, go about and mark all of those who haven't corrupted themselves, the faithful, with a mark on their forehead. It says that, you know, put a mark upon their forehead. You know, to set aside the one set aside for God. In the book of Revelations, twice in chapter 7 and chapter 14, we have the same thing. It talks about before you do anything, you know, the angels are sent out, mark all the servants of God, you know, on their forehead. And so basically, and we have to tie one other thing to this. In the ancient world, people use seals as sort of we use barcodes today. Huh. We often think of seals like putting them on a letter so people can't open them. Mm -hmm. But actually, they were more commonly used simply as a sign of ownership. This belongs to so-and-so. 
And so what people look upon is a seal would sign, this belongs to somebody. So that image we have in Revelation is marked with my seal, like ownership. This is God's. Okay. This belongs to God. Would it be, would the seal be used with some kind of ink or paint or something like that? Or is it just a, a motion? Wax and things. Wax, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. So it would be used. And so the idea, though, of the image was the, the image we have here is that we're marking something as set apart belonging to God. We're acknowledging, for example, with food, you'd put the small sign of the cross, say, this belongs to God. And more important, with ourselves, it would mean that we're acknowledging our belonging to God. Okay. That was the original uh, sense. With a it's, small sign on the forehead. Small sign on the forehead. It's mm-hmm. very, very many. This is, a lot of people think this is very Roman Catholic. Actually, it's extremely ancient. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, Tertullian, uh, back in the, the third century and things, talks about it. He talks about people all the time. Uh, you know, as um, you know, as again a way of dedicating themselves and things to God. Reminding, sort of like Jews have blessings for all sorts of things. Remind, even when they dress a blessing for dressing, a blessing for these things, to remind themselves of the sacredness of the world. So mm. it became a Christian sort of equivalent of that. Now, where it happened, it actually has two different meanings. One meaning would be to set something apart for God, but the other would, would other way would be a physical way to accept a gift that's offered, uh. like a blessing that's offered. You know, the blessing is offered. And then I, here's I'm saying, I, I receive that. Okay. Like so that something. sign would be, I received that right. blessing. Okay. Now, what happened with getting to a bigger sign of the cross was that uh, some of the early church buildings, remember the church originally we talked about, all met as a city in one place. They looked for very large buildings, the church grew. And you know things, it's like theater. Like you're told, if you're in theater, I'm told, I've never been in theater, that um, <laughs> the people, but we have enough people we, uh, that we know who are in theater who tell us that things that seem overdone on the stage won't seem overdone in the back of the theater. You, know, oh, you have to speak yeah. differently. You have to do gestures and things. If you don't, if you raise your eyebrows on stage, the people in the back seats can't see it. Or no, I mean, say, but even regular gestures have to be sort of overdone, a dr- a bit okay, to seem natural to an, exaggerated to an audience. So if I were to just go in the front of the Romans have these large buildings called basilicas. Basilica means uh, the king's building. They used for courts that were often turned into churches, and they're very long and narrow. Mm-hmm. And so if someone in the front of the church, for example, was making that you know sign of the cross, someone might think they're just a uh, mosquito had bitten them or something. Like that. <laughs> they're just wiping the it's, sweat it's, off. It's, yeah. So people actually <laughs> made it larger so people could clearly see without any ambiguity oh, that okay. it was a sign of the cross. And that's we still retain the ancient sign at the gospel. At the gospel, right. we actually use the ancient form of that by actually sealing, you know, on our forehead, on our lips, and on our heart. Okay. So we have the old form, but otherwise we use the um, uh, we use the expanded form. In the east, they do it the um, which way you go from left to right or right to left depends in whether in the eastern church or the western church. In the west, we do it from left to right. In the east, they do it from right to to left. Okay. Is there any? special it's, reason it's for custom. that or it's, it's sort of like how how when you flush a toilet it goes around the opposite way in australia or something like that that's not the comparison i would have used <laughs> i'm sorry uh, but uh, it's the first thing that came but to it's, mind it's a custom it's like why people have different uh, now mind you after the fact people often come with the pious explanations but they're really after the fact okay uh, so it takes on some kind of significance in people's right. minds after but it was just the custom it's like people use different types of ornaments on their christmas trees okay you know yeah. some people use all the same ornaments some have different ornaments for it's different a, years it's just it's a different custom it's a better metaphor on reflection right. so the so the large side of the cross is essentially a was essentially kind of like an amplification of the smaller one on the forehead so people in the back seats could see it but now it's taken we we use it regardless of that it's just a very part because it's our whole body it really uh-huh. is a way of saying you know this belongs to god and uh, typically we use it um again um, in a variety of different ways we use it um 
uh, for example, in our services, uh, typically when we say, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we mm-hmm. mention the Trinity very often. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, every single time you mention the Trinity, uh, you make a sign of the cross, which oh. means it happens literally dozens of times okay. during a liturgy in the Eastern Church. Yeah. As Anglicans, we often make it the beginning of the rite. And then again, we typically do it at the gospel, which is, a, again, the way to look upon it is very often used as a, non, a nonverbal prayer. Mm-hmm. Again, like you kiss your wife, it's a way of saying I love you even if you don't say the words. It's a very, it can be a very powerful way physically. Sure. And so uh, we, we make that sign on our, our mind, on our lips, and on our heart to show that we want the word to enter into our mind, you know, to enter into our hearts, to be on our lips. Okay. We also do it uh, when we have the absolution confession, you know, when we're offered forgiveness. When we say sometimes it's a way of saying... The priest will raise his hands and make a sign of the cross, which is God's offer of forgiveness. And people individually crossing themselves will say, yes, I accept that offer. Okay. It's a way of accepting something offered. Another time is sanctification, the Eucharistic prayer. You know, what we do, there, there's something, a prayer called the epiclesis. It means the, the prayer calling down the Holy Spirit. Mm. Like Elijah, remember the Holy Spirit who calls the fire down on his sacrifice. We call the Holy Spirit to transform for us, it says, the bread and wine into the, to be for us the body and blood of Christ. And we do two things. We have two different prayers. One is we call that, we make a sign of a cross on the actual gifts themselves to put them aside, call God down upon them. But then we also have, that's oh, not only the gifts themselves, but again, it's us who receive them. The Spirit has to ask in two ways to really have communion. We have to have not only God acting, you know, in, in there, but we also have to have God changing us to receive it worthily. Okay. And so we ask, you know, sanctify us also is the prayer. And typically we, we cross ourselves at that time. Mm-hmm. And also at the end of the rite. So those are the traditional times as Anglicans we make the sign of the cross. Now there's some other times people do that have interesting sort of family histories if you bear with me a second. Sure. That, you know, often there are holy blunders. People do something for the wrong reasons, but people like it and it stays on for, <laughs> even after people know better. A classic thing comes is in the lack of, in the, before there are different national languages as such, villages had different, in the Western Church, different dialogue, different dialects of Latin. Uh, and there was no standard French or Spanish in those times. So people used Latin basically as the only practical thing that you could use everywhere. But as people became less and less familiar with Latin, what happened is a, a, the classic benediction or a, a blessing in Latin was, you know, benedicat vos omnipotens Deus, may almighty God bless you. The mm-hmm. word benedicat, you know. And so people would hear that and say, ah, it's a blessing. What would happen, though, is during the Eucharist, when the priest would say, after the holy, 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 say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the word benedictus sounded the same. Oh, and benedictus. So be- what's, the new, what's the other word? Benedica, you know, Benedica, may Almighty God bless. Benedica and Benedictus. And Benedictus. Oh. But it sounded, wow, I don't want to miss a blessing. And so what people do is people piously began to cross themselves when they heard, blessed be he who comes okay. in the name of the Lord. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Uh, it just showed your Latin was not everything it should be. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, many of us has retained that because it's a, you know, we're, we're particularly inviting at the Eucharist. So that originally came from a Latin estate. People mm-hmm. didn't know better. They thought it was a blessing. It wasn't a blessing. Mm-hmm. But people said, you know, we are asking the Lord to be with us here at this table. Blessed be he. Jesus is the one who comes. And so, we sure. had, so people took that as a special way. When we say with the sign of the cross, could be welcoming. You say, yes, I received this offer. Blessed be sure. he who comes in the name of the Lord. Can I, can I stop you right there for, for a quick sidebar on that? You know, the idea of meaning being taken on after something, you know, a mistake or, sure. or something practical like that happens. Is there, like, what's your perspective on that? Because I've heard it lodged sometimes as... Um, you know, from from critics of 
Christianity or something saying people saying, oh, that, that thing that you do that you take it so much encouragement from, well, it was actually originally a mistake. It was originally, originally just from a pagan origin. It doesn't, there's nothing really holy about it. So you're kind of, you're, 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 you're so misguided to think that there's anything special about this. You know, wh- what, do you, what do you think about that? Well, things are special because we make them special. And so we run into something, hey, this works. Uh, you know, um, I, that's what it really is about. We don't say there's anything inherent. That's why there's sacramentals. There's nothing inherent in these things. They're customs. Okay. But sometimes people start doing th- things for one reason. They find out they keep doing it for another. Uh-huh. Um, we all have personal customs we have, you know, how we start our morning and things. that we might have started originally for some one different reason. Yeah. And we find out we like it, and we keep it on even after the reason disappears. Sure. For example, in some very Anglo-Catholic churches, they have something called the lavabo. Uh, which comes in the prayer, I will wash my hands in innocence. It would be right before the priest approaches the altar. Most of us don't do that, but some very old Anglo-Catholic churches do, is he'd have a symbolic washing of hands. And originally what it came from was uh, people used to offer gifts in kind at the Eucharist. So people would actually bring some things that were dirty. I mean, people mm. would bring, you know, food and things would actually be brought as gifts. Like, think of our offertory. Yeah. And people would have to wash their hands. Or think of like we have, after we have ashes, the imposition of ashes, ashes. Yes. As a practical matter, people had to wash their hands. Right. But even if that, as that ceased to be the case, the custom of washing hands, say, well, you know, it's sort of a nice way to symbolize that we're, we're preparing ourselves, okay. you know, asking God for, for a purification before we approach the altar. So it seems natural. I think almost all of us in our lives can think of things that, you know, I started doing this for some completely different reason. But something I keep doing because I really liked it and took yeah. on a different, uh, different feel. So because the because we believe that would would it be fair to say that because we believe that uh, that creation is good and that matter is is good and originally from God that we don't have to despise these sorts of things that all things can be brought can be brought around for exactly for right. worship of God perfect mm-hmm. creation's very good and so one at the time of the Reformation one of the problems uh, disputes between a branch of the Church of England which eventually left, but talked that we weren't purifying it enough from what they thought were abusive uh, Roman Catholic practices with the Puritans. Mm. They often reached the argument that we have some other movements, for example, the Campbellite uh, churches, you know, the Churches of Christ, the Christian Church, uh, mm-hmm. Disciples of Christ, argued that we need to have an actual warrant for anything we do. We have to, the Bible has to say that. Uh, you know, uh, we had exactly the opposite approach as our position was, unless something was wrong, we claimed everything for Christ. Okay. So unless something is wrong, if it works for Christ, great. And all things can be brought in all under subjection. That's right. Okay. I got to tell you one other that's sort of Oh, please fun, do. Is one thing is, you know, there's a, in the ancient world, as we know, we know names were very important, right? Because people thought that names had power. You want to give somebody your name. They could, you know, really? People thought names had power oh, yes, in the pagan yes. world? Oh, certainly did. Huh. And uh, actually, in folk societies, very often giving, giving somebody's name gives them power, etc. But saying certain words were inherently unlucky. Uh-huh. And so you often have that in, like, for example, you see this very traditional Jewish, Yiddish society. For example, I love this, you know, for example, if somebody says he might have cancer, they'll put, God forbid, because you can't end a, end a sentence with a word like cancer. Okay. You see Fiddler on the Roof, you see a lot of that yes, kind of thing. Yes, yes, yes. Or the vice versa, if somebody talks about something good, you say, from your mouth to God's ear. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, but, but the idea, especially with bad things, by the way, this is, I'm, I'm going wandering on, this is what explains the end, the, what we call the embolism on the, our Father, those extra words that we have, for thine is the kingdom and the power of the 
glory. Oh. The scandal is in Greek, the word, the, and in Latin, the end of the Our Father is the word evil. Evil, they're right. And you don't want to leave it there. So oh, they, took okay. a, they took a standard Jewish prayer ending, you know, that came into some manuscripts, uh, but is not actually in the original text. Uh-huh. But that's what is the motivation. So what happened with, where I was going with all this, is in the Nicene Creed, we talk about the, uh, you know, the resurrection of the dead. And using a word like dead, you know, resurrection, uh, you know, uh, resurrection mortuorum, the resurrection of the dead, yeah, the mortuorum, you yeah. know, and you just couldn't let that go by. So people would would um, often cross themselves. Uh-huh. Notice they don't do it with the Apostles' Creed, where it talks about the resurrection of the body. But what happened in the end is a lot of people say that the sign of the cross is claiming a promise. What greater promise to claim in our creed is saying this is where it's all about, that yeah. we will be raised in our bodies and be with the Lord forever. Yeah. So again, what started out from some people saying, oh, I, oh evil, yeah. <laughs> or you know, death, uh, has, took on a beautiful meaning. Okay. And I, I'm inclined to, to keep the beautiful meaning. Yeah, you know, there's... Uh... I, I guess I'm my my mind goes directly to my son who is one, yeah. um, and he doesn't do some things right. He doesn't say some words right. Uh, but sometimes it's hard for us as parents not to correct him. Like you know, you don't say "wawa," you say "water," uh, because we kind of we just we oh, just yeah. love how he we love his we love how he tries, and we we love his character and his nature and how he kind of. Um, you know, he misapplies names like like uh, when we we drink hot coffee or something. Um, he'll try and touch it, and we'll say no, 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 hot. And just from now on, every single drink that we take, whether it's ice water yeah. or not, he'll say <laughs> hot. You know, because he thinks that's what we meant. And you know, we know he'll we know he'll come around right in the end. But we don't. You know, now we just say hot, and it, we we just kind of enjoy it is there is there something of god in that is there something that he, does does he love our 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 worship and our efforts even when you know in our in our kind of foibles and local customs and this is the freedom and, of the gospel yeah is basically people worship in a variety of different ways there are essential core elements we talk about that are mm-hmm. at the heart of faith but the other externalities and things that can and, and do change over time, a lot of things are getting, become very precious to us. Do you find that um, some of these body body prayers or these sacramentals? Do you, do you think it ha- performing them has the ability to get your mind in the right place, or to if, if right, you find your mind wandering? Kind of, wandering or? I think personally that you know Paul says pray without ceasing. And the church fathers, and what does that mean? And prayer means lifting the mind. You know, the definition the church uses is lifting the mind and the heart to God. It mm-hmm. takes all different forms. But it means somehow living in the presence of God. And it strikes me these things can just remind us. Like, again, Jewish life is, is these wonderful blessings that constantly remind you when you're tempted to forget in the midst of everything. You remember God in the midst of all of it. These things can be a very powerful way to do that. Yeah. Well, thanks, Father Stephen. Um, that's all the time we have left for this episode. And thank you for listening to Word and Table. Again, if you have questions um, like the one we answered today, uh, please email us at wordtablepodcast at gmail.com. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, and thanks again to GIA Publications for supplying the beautiful music. Thank you so much for listening. Okay. Bye now. <laughs>